0: We're part of God's bigger plan, and over these past several weeks, as we as a church have been fasting and praying, we've been asking, what can I do? We've been walking uh, through the book of Nehemiah. I hope that uh, the book that you've purchased, that I wrote, uh, has been uh, an encouragement to you and into your life, and I hope that during these past several weeks, that as we've been walking through this uh, together, that the Lord has shown himself to be very real in your life. With your Bibles open to Nehemiah chapter 6, we come to a reality, though, that whenever you attempt to do great things for God, we understand that the enemy is going to be right around the corner, and he is going to attack. As we heard in the testimony from Larry, as as we know from our own personal testimony, that when you begin to attempt to do great things for God, the enemy is right around the corner, and you better believe that he is seeking uh, to to destroy you. I want to speak to you today on when the enemy attacks. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. Nehemiah chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Now when Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to that time we had not set up the doors and the gates, Sambalot and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come here and let us meet together at uh, Hakafriam in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should we, we stop work and leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambla, for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter and in his hand. And in it was written... Is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So so now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such thing as you said uh, has been done. You're inventing them out of your own mind for... They all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work and it won't be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of uh, micah who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night, Nehemiah. But Nehemiah said, should such a man as I run away and... What man such as I could go into the temple and live, I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, Lord, I pray that as we turn our attention to your word, speak to us, Father. We don't want to play the church game, but God, we want to hear a word from you today. So Father, use this time, use this message to speak to our life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please be seated. Today we're talking about when the enemy attacks. When the people say, let us rise and build, the enemy is there to say, let us rise and blast. The same tactics that Satan used against Nehemiah are actually the same tactics that he used against Jesus, and it's the same tactics that he uses against you and I today. You see, Satan doesn't come up with new tactics. He has the same plan. He used the same plan over and over and over again to bring temptation into our life. In fact, friend, do you realize that you have the playbook sitting right there in your lap? It's called the the Bible, the Word of God. You have the enemy's playbook right in front of you. In 1 John, we see that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, we have this verse on the screen. I I want you to see this because this is the enemy's playbook. This is how Satan attacked Nehemiah. This is how Satan attacked Jesus. This is how Satan is attacking you. 1 John tells us, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Right there, contained in that verse, in that verse alone, uh, God tells us what Satan's playbook is. He says, Satan is going to come against you in one of three different ways. Either the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And, And while names may change and circumstances may change, Satan has not and will not change his tactics. These are the same way that Satan tempted Jesus. Remember right after Jesus was coming out of the desert, having fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he he comes out of the desert and now he is tempted by Satan and he's tempted in three ways. He begins, Satan begins his temptation by saying, "Uh, Jesus, I see that you're hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? Turn these stones into bread and and fill the hunger pains that, that you are feeling right now. This is the lust of the flesh. Then Satan takes Jesus up and he shows him all the nations of the world and he said, fall down and, and worship me and I will give you all that you see. Well, first of all, it wasn't Satan's to give in the first place. But that temptation was the lust of the eyes. Look and see. Jesus, look and see of all of this sin. I will give it to you. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And then Satan tempted Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, Throw yourself from this cliff and the angels will come and save you. The temptation. Trying to tempt Jesus if you are the son of God. Trying to tempt Jesus to, to see if pride would, would, would well up within his soul and within his spirit. But each attack that Satan threw at Jesus, Jesus came back with him with scripture. Every temptation thwarted. You see, it's interesting that Satan hasn't changed his tactics. You see, he attacks Jesus, he attacked Nehemiah the same way he attacks us. And here in the scripture, let's see how these attacks from Nehemiah played out. Number one, we see that he attacked him through compromise. He tried to make him compromise. This is the lust of the flesh. Verses 1 through 4. Satan, the enemy, tried to come and and make Nehemiah compromise. Let's come together. Come down from Build the Wall. Let's let's get together. It was repeated four times, the scripture tells us. It's given to us in verse 7. It's given to us again in verse 10. Let us come together. Nehemiah, let's, let's negotiate the plains of Ono, it was between Samaria and Jerusalem. It's, it's halfway where Nehemiah was. And they were saying, come down to Ono. And Nehemiah said, oh no to Ono. I'm sorry, that's a cheap joke, but you've got to say it when you come to this verse. It's got to be said. So Nehemiah said, oh no, I'm not going to Ono. His enemy said, Nehemiah, you don't have to be so fanatical. Why are you so hard-nosed? Let's negotiate. Let's moderate this situation. Let's compromise. Now, I want to say at the forefront, compromise is a very positive thing. It can be a very positive thing. Compromise, you have to understand how to compromise in every relationship that you have, right? You certainly know that compromise is essential in order to have a productive marriage, right? You better learn how to compromise when you get married. And guys, let me tell you the best way to compromise with your wife. Just go ahead and give in at the outset. Give up so it will get over. Go ahead. She's right all the time. Ladies, all the ladies said, you're welcome. The offering place will be passed in just a moment. (laughs) But you better learn how to compromise in your marriage, in your relationship, in your business, in life, learn how to negotiate, learn how to mediate, it's vitally important. Compromise can be positive, but when compromise becomes negative, the way compromise becomes negative is when it begins to impact and affect your moral spiritual convictions. When you begin to compromise on your convictions, that's when it becomes negative. When, when you start saying, I know this to be true, this is what I hold, this is my value system, and you begin to compromise in your value system, you begin to compromise in your convictions, that's when it becomes negative. Listen to me, we dare not live by the idea, peace at any price. For when it comes to truth, when it comes to testimony, there is no place to negotiate, there is no compromise. Now, we said that, that Satan hasn't changed his tactics, but he changes his words. We, we hear compromise and compromising convictions. Today, it's called political correctness. We, we, we hear these words and these terms, and, and we're, we're told that this is how we need to be. But listen, as Christians, we must understand that comprom- the compromising convictions has destroyed more churches, weakened more messages, and harmed more Christians than probably any other tactic Satan has thrown our way. We must guard ourselves. Guard ourselves because the world is saying one thing and they're wanting us to say what they're saying and, and they're, they're doing it under this PC umbrella. But we must understand that we cannot compromise on the Word of God. We cannot compromise on these items that we say, this is right because God said this is right compromise can be so devastating it can be so destructive in fact compromise would have destroyed the work that nehemiah was trying to do come down nehemiah come together Let, let's talk about this thing but you see nehemiah realized the importance of the work look at verse three in your bible he said so i sent messengers of saying i'm doing a great work i can't come down Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? He repeats this again in verse 10 and also in verse 11. Why should I come down? Why should I come down? Why should I go down to you? Because God has lifted me up. I'm doing a great work. Now, this is not Nehemiah patting himself on the back and saying, look at what I have done. All the way through the book of Nehemiah, we have seen up to this point, Nehemiah always pointing back to God, saying, look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. He's not suggesting that it was his great work or something he was doing, this is the work of God. But friend, listen, this church is a work of God. The blessings that we're seeing, the growth that we're seeing, it's the work of God. No one can pat themselves on the back and say, look at what I have done. Nobody can do that because growing at the rate we're growing, seeing the salvations we're seeing, seeing what we're seeing here in this church, this cannot be anything that a man can do. It's all God, but listen to me. God chooses to use each one of us. And as we begin to take our place on the wall, God uses us to build his word. Just as he did in the time of Nehemiah. Maybe you're a life group teacher and you say, Pastor, I've been teaching for years. I'm I'm tired. I'm teaching the the same five or six people week in and week out. and, and, And listen, don't you give up. That's the work that God has called you to do. Don't you come down from the wall. The enemy's trying to tempt you, the enemy's telling you that you're, 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 you're not investing anymore, that, that, that you're all washed up, that you're, that you're speaking only to five or six people, but listen, those five or six people, they need you. Maybe you're a homemaker, you're a stay-at-home mom, and you say, I'm worthless, I'm just a homemaker. Dear lady, listen, the greatest work that you can be doing is to be a mother to those children. You need a raise. Don't let the enemy tell you that you're worthless. Perhaps you're a greeter. Perhaps you're a greeter and you think, all I do is shake hands. Can I tell you this past week, we had hundreds of pastors from around the world converge right here to this place. And these pastors were coming from, from churches that are not like Aloma, Churches that are hard. They beat up on their pastors. And these pastors were coming and you could just see it on their face. They were down, they were drained. They they were looking for something And I heard multiple times. Either either this is the greatest church in the world, or this is the fakest church in the world. I said, what do you mean? They said, every time I walk onto your campus, it doesn't matter if it's 7.30 in the morning or if it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon when I'm leaving. I see people at these doors and they're smiling, they're shaking my hand. They're asking me, how can I pray for you? And listen, listen, Wes, West, this, this is an anomaly. I don't have this at my church. And the people that are at the doors here, your ushers and your greeters, when they say, how can I pray for you? They mean it. I can tell they mean it. And I know that some of you gave your time and you were here this past week and you think, oh, I didn't do anything. I I just held a door open. I I just shook a few hands. No, listen, you invested in the most important work you can invest in. You raised up these men and these women of God and you sent them back to their churches energized. Energized. Don't you allow Satan, don't you allow Satan to say, hey, just come down from the wall. Stop serving. Stop working. You, you've worked long enough. You're just waving. You're just holding a door. You're not doing it. Don't you buy in to that lie from Satan. When Satan tempted Jesus in this realm, he said, Jesus, you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. You're, you're, you're in hunger pains but you see, Jesus understood that his hunger pains paled in comparison to the work that God had called him to do. Sometimes it's hard to serve. Sometimes it's hard People turn your back on, people will turn their back on, you. Know, I, I get it. Sometimes it's hard to do the things that God has called you to do. And whenever you take up the mantle and you say, this is what God's called me to do. And I'm going to, I'm going in at lock, sock and barrel. I, I'm jumping in all hog, I, I'm in. And when you do that, Satan brings enemy and attack after enemy and attack. And you look around and you say, I'm tired. I want to come down from the wall. But what Nehemiah says, don't you compromise. Don't buy into the flesh because what you are doing, just as Jesus said, this pain that I am feeling in my stomach right now, pales in comparison to what God has called us to do. God has called you to a great work. God created you unique to do something that only you can do. Find what that is and do it. Jump in and get involved. We can't compromise. We must stand on our convictions. And here's the point. Christian living today demands decisive action. Make your decision about what you believe, about what is right, what is true, and stay by it. So many people today live by opinions. We're in in political season, right? There's all these opinion polls, opinion after opinion after opinion. I'm sick of all these opinions. Everybody has an opinion, right? Everyone has an opinion, but very few people have a conviction. Do you know the difference between an opinion and a conviction? An opinion is something that we hold. A conviction is something that holds us. Everybody has their way that needs to be done. I've got my opinion that I hold. And, and by golly, preacher, I'm going to tell you what I think. Yeah, you probably will. Everybody's got an opinion. But it's time to stop having opinions and start it's time to start having convictions. It's time to stop holding all these opinions and allow our convictions that, that are rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ to hold us, to challenge us, to motivate us, to push us, to prod us into what God would have us to do. Nehemiah was tempted in his flesh to compromise the work that God had called him to do, but he responded, as did Jesus, as should we, with the greatness of the work that God has called us to do. Oh, Jesus, you're hungry, but listen, This is just small compared to what God's called me to do. Nehemiah, just come down from the wall. Just come talk. No, God's called me to a great work. I'm not going to even listen. Number two, the attack came. He attacked the character. This is the pride of life, verses five through nine. Verses five through nine, we find all these slanderous words, gossip, that Nehemiah had to listen to. It could have eaten away at his pride. These enemies, they, 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 could not, they could not break Nehemiah's will, so they, brought, they, they sought to break his spirit, to break his pride. And they came with the oldest attack of all, the attack that is full-blown blatant lies. You know, Jesus, Satan is called the slanderer, that means the liar, he's the deceiver. And Satan lies and lies and lies. You see, the rumor mill was, was being pushed and, and it was churning with Nehemiah. Then there's this open letter that came that we just read and, and it said, Nehemiah, everyone knows why you're building this wall. All you wanna do is be king. The only reason why you're doing this is because you're an egomaniac and, and, and you just wanna be king. You're in this for yourself, Nehemiah. And oh, by the way, I'm gonna go over to Persia and tell the king on you. Now, as a matter of fact, the opposite was true. As we saw last week, Nehemiah would have 150 guests and different guests each night in his home for years and years and years. And he brought them in at his own expense and he served them this grand dinner night after night after night. 150 people strong every single night. Didn't charge a dime for it. He refused to collect taxes and and to, to hurt the poor. But you see, when anyone attempts to do great things for God, when a person steps out of the crowd and is willing to rise to the challenge, he's often accused in personal attacks and motives, therefore slandered, and attack comes. Slander, gossip, rumoring, backbiting. You know, I found a good way to, to stop rumors. You know, we as Christians, that, that's one of our pet sins, isn't it? Oh, you know, sister so-and-so, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but I'm telling you this so you can pray for her, Okay. That's gossip, slander. Do you know how to put an end to gossip? I figured this out. When someone says to you, you know, I'm not supposed to tell you, but stop them right there and say, now, can I, can I put your name down for this? Can I write your name? Because if you're not willing to put your name beside your statement, there's a problem. There's a problem. Oh, and everybody, Nehemiah, everybody's against you. Those superlatives. Nobody likes you, everybody hates you. You know, you, you're, you're, you're all in this for yourself. It was all these superlatives, everyone. You know how to defeat that? When somebody says, nobody likes this, say, well, give me the list of nobody. How many nobodies are we talking about? How many everybody's are we talking about? Two or three, okay. That's not everybody. And you see, Nehemiah, he wasn't moved. He wasn't shaken by this. Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 8, or Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 8, he's not not moved. He doesn't start twirling his thumbs and saying, oh, these lies, everybody's against me. Everybody thinks that I'm I'm, I'm going and I'm wanting to be king. No, Nehemiah knew the heart of the people. He'd invested in those people. He loved those people, he served those people. He knows that the people that he had been serving for all of this time, he knew that they knew what was going on. So he just denied the charge. He said, no such thing's true. I'm not coming to you and by the way, what you're saying is not true. No excuse making, just a simple denial. Jesus did the same thing, right? when Satan came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, fall down and worship me. It's a good thing I'm not Jesus because when my pride is attacked that way, if you are the son of God, if Satan would have said that, if Satan, seriously, if, dude, I created you, you moron, I'm not gonna worship you if I am. That's what I would have done. By your laugh, you're admitting you would have done that too. Pride begins to well up. And we began to give a foothold to the enemy, but Jesus, he he didn't get caught up in that. He just said, Satan, I'm not going to worship you. The Bible says that I am to worship God and him alone. Not making excuses, not, not dwelling on this. See, Nehemiah was transparent. His life was an open book. He knew the devil desired to weaken him. And if we're not careful, unfair, untrue criticism can sap us of spiritual energy. Have you ever heard the old childhood statement, sticks and stones can break my bones, but what? Words can never hurt me. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, isn't it? Whoever came up with that statement must have lived in a bubble. Because yes, sticks and stones can hurt But you know what can hurt worse than sticks and stones? Yeah, you know why? Because sticks and stones hurt the outside, the outside can heal. But certain words said by the certain person at a certain time can can go into the heart and they hurt and you can't heal from it. I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. I hate you. Those words said at the right time can infiltrate the heart. And if we, allow, if we allow those words to infiltrate the heart and we don't remember who we are in Jesus Christ, we can give a foothold and we can allow pride to up, uh, well up inside of us. Try to answer these lies instead of focusing on what God has for you. Jesus said, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake, for so did they persecute the prophets before you. And then he said, great is your reward in heaven. Stand strong. When people try to speak evil against you in your family, in your place of work, in your school, And yes, even in church, it happens. Stay strong. Remember who you are in Christ. Thirdly and finally and very quickly, there's the attack of the conscience. This is the lust of the eyes, verses 10 through 14. The enemy couldn't get Nehemiah to succumb to his first two tactics, so he attempted the lust of the eyes. He attempted to make the holy unholy. He said, Nehemiah, uh, he he sent a, a person to Nehemiah and said, Nehemiah, somebody's trying to kill you. You need to run into the temple. What's the problem with that? Well, Nehemiah is not a priest. He is a layman. He's a cupbearer. Only priests are allowed to go inside the temple. Only priests are allowed to go into the holy place. And if Nehemiah would have gone into the holy place, he would have made that which is holy unholy. He would have sinned against God. Satan wants to sear the conscience. You know what the conscience is? You see, God's placed within each one of us this beautiful thing called a conscience. It screams at us when we are about uh, the, the, the holy vessel that God has called holy, be ye holy, for I am holy, 1 Peter chapter 1. This vessel that, that God is making holy, uh, the conscience is, is, is there to, to maintain the holiness. But when we step beyond the conscience, it makes the holy unholy. It screams to us. When we're about to sin, it screams to us, don't do this. Don't say that. Don't go there. But the thing about the conscience that Satan knows for many, the conscience is just a speed bump. You, you, you just run over it and you just keep going. You see, that's the thing about sin, isn't it? The first time you commit that sin, it, it, you, you feel really bad about it. But as you, if you don't repent of that sin, you stay in that sin. You keep going and going and going and going. Before long, you've completely forgotten And now you're looking around you're saying, where's my friends? Where's my family? Where's God? And you find yourself lost, right in the middle of sin. But you see, Nehemiah didn't buy this. He he didn't let Satan push him into fear or or even to sear his conscience. He said, what kind of man do you think I am to break God's law? Verse 12, verse 12 is the key to this. He said, then I perceived that, that, that God had not sent him at all. Nehemiah perceived, he was the discerning man, he, he realized that this message didn't come from God. And you know how Nehemiah knew this message wasn't from God? Because this was a message of fear. And Nehemiah knew God well enough to know that when, when God speaks something, God does not speak a message of fear. Your Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a, a spirit of love, of peace, and a sound mind. He's given us a message of courage, a message of faith, a message of endurance. Verse 15 tells us the wall was built in 52 short days. 52 days, and and, and it was a glorious yet simple expression of what God had done. Verse 16 tells us that when the enemies saw it, all these enemies that have come against Nehemiah and said, Nehemiah, you're, you're, you're a loser. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. They, they became disheartened. And verse 16 of Nehemiah 6, even the enemies of God had to stand back and say, wow, look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. This is a work of God. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a work like that. We're from the outside. It may, it may seem impossible, but, but when it happens, when it happens, no man can take the glory. and We have to say, this is the work of God. I want to be a part of a work like that. I want to be a part of a church like that. Not something that's superficial, but something that's supernatural. Something that can't be explained, but yet God did this. And friend, that's the work of Jesus Christ. He can take you right where you are. Lost in your sin, lost in desperation, lost and not knowing which way is up. And through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, He can set your feet on the solid rock. You see, you say, Well, I'm too weak. Oh, friend, God desires to use the weak. God delights to use the incapable. God enjoys using those who who can't by themselves but can by his spirit. And dear friend, God wants to use you And if you will respond to the challenge and resist every opponent in the power of Jesus Christ, the wall in your life, what is it that you're trying to build? What is the wall in your life? Is it your family? Is it your, 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 your home? Is it your witnesses, your marriage? I promise you that with Christ alongside of you, it will be rebuilt to the glory of God. Will you bow with me? Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior and Lord, I ask you, What are you waiting on? I'm going to ask that no one be moving around at this time. I know that, uh, I know we've got places to go, but this is the most important time of the service. Right after this, we're going to be able to worship through giving. So just, just hang with me for just a few more moments. The message has gone out. The word has gone out. What is God saying to you?